dear Mr. or Mrs. Listener, we accept the fact that you're going to sacrifice a whole hour to listen to this podcast, but we think you are crazy. In the simplest terms, you see us as you want to see us. A Ninja Turtle, a Jedi, a Redhead, a Mike. Sincerely yours, Redhead Family Therapy Guy, and a Mike. Don't you forget about the bugger. All right, we're back for another one. You've uh, you've managed to find yourself with the Redhead Family Therapy Guy and uh, Michelangelo. Oh, Michelangelo! <laughs> <laughs> I am just John today. <laughs> <laughs> so, if I was going to take on a persona from the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, what would I take? Ooh, on? good question. So, I've That's always loved Donatello. I've always been interested in the the like Corey uh, Feldman. That's Corey Feldman. Art. Yes, I love Corey Feldman. I've always wanted to be him. So, (laughs) (laughs) so, so I, I love the techie guy, right? The guy that's smart that wants to figure things out. I, I don't know that I am that, but I love to learn about it. It's it's a slow learning or a big learning curve for me, but I love Donatello. So when I played the arcade game of Teenage Mutant Ninja, that's because he's the one that wields the bow staff, right? So he was always the one that I wanted to use um, on the video game. And I used to love the video game because I remember like when it came out in the arcade, like the graphics were like legit. They were like kind of exciting. They were kind of cartoony and it was just really fun. And you could play four people. So, you know, you'd get in together with your friends and put all the quarters up on the thing. Yep. So you like headquarters to grab if you died or whatever. But I remember. Yeah, I, I used to play fun. it all the time. And then I think it came out. Did it come out on Nintendo, Nintendo or Super I Nintendo? Did, yeah. which and I, would I think it was Super it on, Nintendo. Right? Was it Super? I can't remember, but I would play it all yeah. the time on there, too. And then it kind of just faded away. I don't know. I don't know if how it did really ever come away. out with one as as fun. I know they've had new turtle games, but I I don't remember playing one as fun as the original. original. And do you remember what it's called? Is it just no? Ah, there's no a idea. there's a name, and I can't remember what what it's called. But uh, they have those new one up machines, and I've seen turtles on the one up machines, and I've always wondered if that's. The original you arcade. know what advert keeps showing up in my feed that i want to buy so bad they have this um like it looks like the classic atari system but like modernized a little bit yeah. and it has like all the atari games like saved on it but then it's also like a computer yeah and you can also a... have like the classic joystick and then it yeah. also has like a like a like an xbox looking remote and it does all these freaking cool things and there's this pack you can get like the like super pack i think it's like 699 dollars, and it comes with like this really freaking cool hat and it comes with the system and it comes with the controllers and i'm like oh yeah i think that. i think that so atari cool. version they like kick-started or something 
Oh man, my memory might be be serving me wrong, but it's I remember so when that was so cool looking. It's so yeah. cool looking, and it's constantly showing my feet. I'm like, but it's a modern me alone. Yeah, Google, you've hacked Buy my me. brain. Buy <laughs> me. You've hacked my brain. Leave me alone. Google's <laughs> so, so smart. Cool. So we're talking yeah, teenage mutant ninja yeah. turtles. So I'm excited to talk about this because it's your jam. Like I liked it, you know, like as much as any kid from our era like liked. But I wasn't like all in, which you seem to have been like all in on. There's a few things I loved as a kid and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles was one of them. Uh, I I really loved Batman as a kid Uh, and and uh, the Rocky movies. Rocky four came out right right around that. Oh, yeah. I was really into like the Rocky stuff. And then. And then, of course, uh, any scythe like Star Wars was was a big one. I. I just love the the Pizza Avenue was always, you know, one of the things that I think it made it hard for me to love Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles is I couldn't keep the four of them straight. So I always felt like an idiot talking about them because I could never remember which one was which. And so I think I felt disadvantaged. And uh, I think I don't think I was a big like, were they on Saturday morning cartoons? I don't remember watching it. So the turtle cartoons, I don't remember when was they it were like on, cartoon, but I would watch it must have them been, all the time. It must have been Cartoon Network because we didn't have that. That might have been the other disadvantages, like we didn't have the full cable channel. And so I might not. I think it was on Cartoon Network. I don't think it was on like ABC, NBC, or CBS or whatever. And so I don't think. Yeah, I'm not sure it. either. I don't, I don't remember, but I remember I used to watch it all the time. And I had, uh, oh, I think cassette tapes of the cartoon i think oh man it's that that's takes... a long time ago uh vhs yeah. sorry vhs yeah i was like what are you um, talking about uh, vhs <laughs> of the cartoon <laughs> um and i can't yeah i can't remember but i i loved them and uh and so yeah keeping them straight interesting enough the the uh original comic they're all just in in neutral color bandanas because uh um, because it's black and white when it, when it first came out. It's so cool. You know, it was really interesting. I, like I read up on how it came to be, you know what I mean? These guys uh-huh. sitting around like drawing and somebody said like, I'm going to draw a turtle. That's a ninja. And then yeah. like the thing that's really interesting to me about the development, it, I think it's really cool that they came up with these like classic names because of like the artists that they loved or, you know, the classic, you know, great artists of all times or whatever, or minds of all time from like, you know, the Renaissance era or whatever. But the, the, the thing that's, I think really interesting is that they had four of them, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, it's like, you know, a lot of times when you have, I don't know, anything that's kind of popular, it's like a, I got I me, mean, I, I guess there's an ensemble with like GI Joe or some other things but the fact that there was four is really unique you know what i mean that the yeah the, the story you know the other thing that really struck me from the movie that was really unique is like that they had it be about like single dads right like you know uh master splinter is like a single dad and and then the kid in the movie that's like the punk that kind of crosses over mm-hmm. no no the kid the kid of the oh in the, the movie news, yeah the, the manager yeah like son. the man yeah the newscaster mm-hmm. son 
like it's also another single dad situation and i thought oh that's really interesting that like in the 80s because it's all about like you know single moms and all that kind of stuff and like all the friends that i had that were divorced were with their moms i don't think i had any friends that were that were i mean a lot of divorced friends but i don't think any of them lived with their dads and uh and it's interesting that the movie has this theme of like single dads um raising kids i just thought that was a really interesting different thing that kind of did that you you don't like see in other 80s pop culture you don't see like the single dad struggle or whatever it was which is really interesting yeah i find it really uh, interesting also that so in the uh in the original comic so kevin eastman and and uh, peter laird are the co-creators and uh and yeah the story goes kevin would try to kind of uh um distract peter they lived together i think in new hampshire or something and they would try to he would try to distract him while he was like watching tv or something and he did yeah did it one night by drawing this like turtle that he they they turned into like this ninja ninja. fighter (laughs) that loved pizza yes (laughs) and so i i love it some of those old drawings are really fun to look at because they look like turtles more so than than what they became to where now they look more muscular like ninjas uh they still look like turtles but um but yeah it's really interesting in so i i I thought i'd talk a little bit about this because i find it interesting in the original comic uh it's it's uh issue one and then there's a leonardo one shot and then 10 and 11 are pretty much the first movie those four issues really comprise like what becomes the first Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie. They use those as like a, a guide for the, yeah. the skeleton for it, the movie. It feels pretty much like the movie. The, the one <laughs> difference is Leonardo is the one who who gets beat up and, and injured and they take him to... Oh, versus uh, it's uh, Raph. Uh, Raph and yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And so it's... Uh, and, and then I think it's uh, April Neal's farm, like grandparents farmhouse or something and i think in the movie maybe it's supposed to be casey jones i can't quite remember that no, but it's hers. Some... oh it is no, it is hers. okay it is hers yeah because she talks about the her father grandfather that owned the store below her that she's above as well and yeah that also like his farmhouse so it's it's perfect yeah. so so yeah in the comic yeah there's this idea of of you know he becomes their father right so splinter becomes the turtles fathers so something really interesting is that in 2010, uh, Kevin Eastman, I think without Peter Laird, Peter Laird, although Peter Laird, I think, has some influence at some point, but they started and they rebooted Turtles under, right. under the IDW brand. Right. And, uh, and that, so, so that one is still ongoing. It's still an ongoing comic run. And in that comic run, uh, it's a little different. So in that comic run, uh, Splinter and the Turtles uh, and also Shredder are actually reincarnated oh. and they're reincarnated. So Splinter is reincarnated from, oh, I can't remember who's his master, uh, uh, Saki uh, or something like master that. Yoshi. Master Yoshi. So he is master reincarnated Yoshi. him. <laughs> And his son, so he had four sons, this master. Oh, so and they wrote the a backstory? Turtles, 
are yeah the turtles are his was that back did that backstory exist with the original turtle run or they they cultivated that with the reboot yeah with the reboot okay that's fun and so his wife it still had the wife right that was murdered by By, rokusaki was i think shredder then so murdered by by uh him uh and and so shredder in in the reboot if i'm remembering right is the reincarnation of of that guy and so it's really interesting to me because there's you know this really push on family and what it means to stay together even through like death right to have that eternal family connection and what that means now now i don't i can't remember i don't like the they don't really bring up the mom like you're talking about but there's this real strong connection and meaning i feel like with well that's the role honor that, and family and yeah and that's the that. the i think april is the i mean she's a little bit of the love interest but i think she is the mother figure you know what i mean like that's what i got out of because i was thinking like oh it's interesting there's this you know single father but then i was like oh but april's playing the role of the of the mother that wasn't there you know what i mean like there's yeah. so rom- some romantic interest or some you know joking around of course casey in the movie ends up as the love interest or whatever but there's this joking around and flirtiness but but that's really what she does she's very motherly to them or whatever one of the things that cracks me up about the movie <laughs> is like you know the rat and the turtles are randomly in the sewer and then there's yeah there's just some radioactive you know <laughs> this tube of radioactive you know of course because that's that exists in new york city and so somebody just dumped that into the stewards so (laughs) so yeah i mean i love that you know they've got to become supernatural somehow or whatever but it's just like yeah it's just this tube of radioactive ooze that happens to be in the sewers of new york city (laughs) so wander into what i find really interesting is that splinter is already smart right he already has like this intelligence because he's following his master right like learning his learning his katas yeah Yeah. and so okay so this is one of my favorite parts about the original comic series and i want to talk just a minute about this because i love it yeah so uh tcri and we learned this more in like turtles 2 movie secret of the ooze uh but but tcri is this company that's basically they're they have a truck driving down the road and and uh, uh someone like walks out into traffic i think a blind i can't remember someone blind i think maybe anyways walks into traffic someone saves that person and in doing that this tcri truck has to like swerve and a canister falls out and shatters out of shoots out of the back as it yes. pops open and so the- it it shatters right and that's how and, and there's a boy right or maybe it's the boy that walks into traffic i can't remember and, and he drops his jar of turtles they they fall down and they uh-huh. they get into this ooze and then as splinter <laughs> is saving the turtles you know kind of making sure they're okay he of course gets the ooze over him also so th- what's really cool is that uh in in I think it's uh, issues two through seven of the original series. They talk about this backstory of TCRI. And so TCRI is actually like this hidden headquarters of these aliens who who got stuck on earth. 
Yes. Holy crap. We just came out of left field. There's oh, aliens it's so in the awesome. Mutant it's Ninja so Turtle. awesome. Aliens <laughs> unawares on the planet that are so, so diabolically and clandestine that they started a company yeah. where they make secret so they get magical ooze. They get stuck here and they're trying to find a way back, right? They get stuck and that's what TCRI is like. They're, they're, they're trying to cultivate hidden base, right? So, yeah, it's like their cover. It's their cover. Yep. Cover. And so what do they look like? Are they able to like make uh, themselves they, look like Do you remember? Do you or? remember General Krang, the brain guy no. in yes. the original in the cartoon now yes, that the is what they, they're those aliens whoa yes i think i thought when i saw the aliens i was like all right teenage mutant ninja turtles you guys are reaching a little bit now and i well, i think i was so much of a fan that i knew about the alien spin that's so cool yeah so or wait it's three through seven because episode two or issue two of the comics actually introduce uh april o'neill in it and she actually is a uh, like a computer scientist working for uh, um, uh, Dr. Baxter, um, it, who actually is a, a villain in in uh, in in the he becomes a villain in the comics, but also especially in the IDW comics they use him a lot, and then in the cartoon. So she's actually a computer science the scientist in in the the comics uh, and she's like a high school or sorry a college aged uh young lady but anyway so, just, so her day job is to be a reporter huh yeah well she's not a reporter at all at least that i remember yeah. in the comics that's really just the uh, movie. Okay. they did that and so and so yeah so in the comics the they go to uh tcri to kind of figure out because they they realize oh this is the place that dropped the ooze and they actually get uh, teleported because the the aliens were working on this this uh, teleportation interdimensional type system tra- transporting system. They get teleported off off world, mm-hmm. and so I I love that story arc. It's really really That's interesting. Fun. But yeah, so that the is ooze yeah. is extraterrestrial. Of course, ooze, and that's how they become, uh, you know, mutated into ninjas. Yeah, and so it just is happen chance accident, right? With this Mm -hmm. alien truck that uh, loses one of its ooze vials. (laughs) So this dominating a major portion of your childhood. What what is it that just drew you, um, undeniably to the mutinated turtles? What was it that? Just- so there's, you know, in the movie, I love this idea of it's together we overcome, right? Mm-hmm. And that's what ultimately allows them to defeat Shredder. And it's over and over again in the comics. It's about togetherness. And for me as a kid, I always thought, wow, you could be, um, you could be smart, you could be intelligent, you could be athletic, you could be a wise leader like Leonardo. Mm-hmm. You could have, you know, anger issues like Raphael. And, and yeah, I really liked that. I really liked that dynamic of the movie. I thought it was really interesting about how, you know, he's kind of the loner or, you know, he cares so deeply. He's got to kind of get away because he's not articulate about his emotions or he's got shame or whatever. And, uh, you know, he's out there kind of exploring or he's mad about X, Y, or Z. Or I, I thought it was a really interesting idea that he's like kind of trying to do things by himself. 
Um, and he continues to keep trying to do things by himself. And I think it's, is it Leonardo that kind of pulls him back in? So, you know, Leonardo is that who it is reboot? Yeah. Leonardo in the reboot is the oldest son. Mm -hmm. And, and then when they're reincarnated, of course, they're reincarnated as themselves. So Leonardo, the turtle is the oldest son and kind of takes on that leader role because he is, um, interesting enough in the reboot, Raphael is the turtle. There's one turtle in the reboot, the IDW reboot comic series that gets, uh, gets taken away when they dropped in the ooze and was separated for, I think a year. Mm. And therein lies some of his emotional trauma and why he has feeling, some of the, feeling yeah. isolated, feeling so like there's a little bit belong. more backstory. Yep. As yeah. to why he is <clears throat> that way. I love this idea to me that all these different aspects when brought together, make you, or make them more powerful. And I think about that in my own life. There's certain parts of me that, that I don't want to embrace, right. That I feel shame over, or I feel, um, uh, uh, dread over or inadequacy over, but I love this idea of maybe it's all those parts together that really do make me who I am. And there's power in that, right. There's strength in that. And maybe, maybe shame is is the distraction from that, I think so. that inner beauty that yeah, creates I so. us. I love yeah, that because, idea. Yeah, because I think it's really important to appreciate typically that your greatest strength is also your weakness, right? Because mm-hmm. it puts you out of it, out of balance, right? You know what yeah. I mean? Like my easygoingness, um, you know, my lack of feeling anxiety allows me to be put on the spot, allows me to be spontaneous, allows me to kind of have a good time in whatever situation I'm in. It allows me to be dynamic, but it hampers my ability to plan. It hampers my ability to maybe execute on a, a level that you can when you're more disciplined and, and thorough. And so, yeah, I, I think that, I think that our, that our, that our strengths and understanding our strengths and understanding what limitations they give, and then either staying with them or cultivating other aspects of our identity are a part of our growth. But yeah, I think that's true. I think the shame is just the distraction. I mean, it's just because we waste all this emotional energy worrying that people are going to see what is a problem about us. But every person has a problem, you know, whether yeah. it doesn't matter what it is, whether it's an insecurity or a deficiency of capability you know, and, and we're in, and the thing that's incredible about humans is that we are so able to evolve and be dynamic in completely extreme situations. You know what I mean? And so, so yeah, I think it is, I think it's just a distractor and a waste that we spend all this time feeling bad that this thing happened to us or, that we did this bad thing or we're not good at this thing or we can't ever seem to get this thing right because we all have a dimension of that. You know what I mean? And I understand it. I don't like it either. I don't want it to be seen per se either, but it's a part of our humanity. And, and, and what wouldn't it be great if we had a, a culture, you know, where we could just celebrate those things and yeah. then be supportive and encouraging to each other versus all this, you know, there is, you know, there is finger pointing and, hating that happens clearly you know what i mean 
And that's what I love <laughs> about, I think, Turtles and what Splinter does is, is he brings them together, right? Mm-hmm. He, he brings them together and says, each of you make, you know, you make a more powerful entity to distinguish uh, evil, right? And I think, I think what you're saying is spot on is if we can find a way to look past those things like splinter is trying to do with the turtles then we we can recognize how how much strength we actually have and how that yeah. outweighs As all those unit. things yeah which is what's really what's really cool because instead of having two or three they have four <clears throat> and then you also involve april and casey who are these extremes as well. Yeah. And it's, and then of course, you know, Splinter. And so it's, it is, it's really fascinating that you have a lot of different strong parts. I I love to, and I don't know if they said more of the rules, but Splinter um, makes a point of teaching one of Master Yossi's rules. And I only caught, like I wrote down like rule one, which he said like, and this could be my annotation versus what he actually said but he says like mm-hmm. possessing the right thinking of strength knowledge and peace and i'm like dude that is gospel right there you know what i mean like searching for inner peace and i love that they like meditate and connect like they're at the farm right so they're yeah. out of the city they're taking a break from having to be um pulled into the foots nonsense or whatever and they have this experience of just meditating. And as they collectively meditate, they connect with Splinter. I just thought yeah. it was so cool when they silence themselves and breathe. And it's really dramatic in the way that Raphael does it, you know, because he's so full of anger and all this, you know, resentment and uh, feeling inadequate and being able to do whatever it is. I think that I think that's what spikes his anger typically is his inadequacy, his sense of inadequacy. Yes, definitely. Whether it's emotional articulation or to win or whatever it is. And interestingly, you know, in the fight scene above the the store april's apartment or store wherever he's like just absolutely getting this not destroyed yeah they're all they're all fighting together you know down in the store and he's up just taking an absolute beating on the roof you know what i mean um but i love that i love that 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 uh that comparison of fettered rage and and then peace and connection with their master. And that that was a fundamental tenant that they were kind of raised on is this idea of cultivating strength and knowledge um, and seeking peace. It's just like, you know, it's awesome. Yeah. It's really a lot, uh, a lot about connection to being centered, right. And, and connecting with each other. I, I love this idea of, of honor that's throughout the movie and throughout the comics, you know, and loyalty to each other. Right. I mean, it's really unbreakable, right? Like it's completely unbreakable, you know, and since there's no like love interests, right. Because Mm -hmm. they're turtles and there's no other like species of grown up turtles, you know, it's, it is this kind of forever uh, unity of brothers, you know, when I love in, uh, in the reboot comic, there is a, um, Oh, I can't remember who it was, but there there was a a, a time when Leo, their turtles are fighting this um, enemy, and Leonardo. It, it, they're all thinking we don't, you know, to be honorable here, we just want to dispatch the enemy and calm them. We don't want to to kill them. 
And, and we see this in the movie, right? With Splinter uh, and Shredder at the end, there's not a desire to kill. Now it's funny because Casey Jones is like, whoops, like and, oops. And crush, crushes him. <laughs> of course right? it doesn't and, kill him anyway. I mean, like, yeah. <laughs> spoiler warning for number two. <laughs> yeah. It's like, really? The trash compactor didn't put an end to you, Splinter? Like it bent your unbreakable hat, but your body survived. Like, yes. Fun. Cause he's a reincarnated being. Um, so I love this idea. And so in the reboot, uh, uh, Leonardo has a, a tangle and actually stabs the enemy and the enemy uh, supposedly dies. And I just love how they portray the sorrow that Leonardo feels and, and how he, he has to go through kind of this growth process because there's this idea of honor and, and the, the honor is uh, one to, to family, but more so to what's right. And it's mm-hmm. not about just killing or, mm-hmm. or annihilating, Dispensing. but yeah. lifting others up. And so throughout this combat process, they're kind of uh, the idea that I got or the, the feeling I got from it was how can we help bring this person up to a, 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 a really a level where they don't desire to do evil anymore. Well, and, and I also, think that's so redeeming. Uh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. That's such a cool point. But, uh, and also too, like, I mean, and I am not an Eastern philosopher, but it's also like, you can't get rid of evil. Right. I mean, it's just, it's, so there's no point in one respect of eliminating evil because there is no eliminating evil. Mm-hmm. Right. It's like a part of the, the yin and the yang there's good there's evil you know there's darkness and there's this sense of balance and peace and finding your way through it right and so that's yeah. really that's really you know a, a fulfillment of acting that out because you can't eliminate it anyway which is definitely a problem in pop culture now is that there is this notion of getting rid of and eliminating um evil and you you can't like you know you've got to you've got to instead seek truth um, be considerate, be supportive, because once you try to attack evil, because especially like in modern society, like people on the other side aren't evil, right? Like they're good people. They just have embraced other philosophies or ideologies or principles or ideas that are most important to them. And so you want to vilify them and then you become a tyrannical monster in trying to eliminate them or what they believe, um, you know, from the space. And it's like, no, you, you can't do that. You can't eliminate ideas. And, and the more you just try to eliminate it, the more you just empower it. You know what I mean? So it's just, it's, you know, it's, it's, I think it's the idea of instead of the, the either, or, you know, the sense of how does it all fit together and what do I need to embrace to have peace? Right. Well, I think that's what uh, part of what's cool about the movie is, is the, newscaster's son uh, i think his name is danny maybe i, I, I can't remember, yeah. quite remember but yeah. but the newscaster's son right is is gravitating towards doing things that are uh not uh not very kind things right stealing <laughs> I found uh, that- breaking laws and and splinter does you know sees beyond that right mm-hmm. sees the sees him for who who he can become who he well, and who he is, just a confused yeah. kid, right? And draws, right, draws that towards the light, right? It's kind of mm-hmm. this idea of dark side, light side. And 
And I love that about the movie too, is that uh, honor, you know, is about not only about connection and coming together and, and being more powerful and, and, and strong as we, we recognize, I guess, our weaknesses and our strengths as making us who we are, but also seeing that as we can love others and be kind to others, we can become stronger uh, and, and, and draw people to the light to find more peace and happiness in their lives also. And that's what we see with Danny. And, and it's kind of funny. We see it with uh, some of the old other foot soldiers also. Towards well, the it's, it's really interesting that the foot is this real paradox, right? Because you have this sense of, you know, a bunch of um, misdirected youth that don't have families where they belong and so they're attracted to this kind of chaos, right? Like there's all this party atmosphere of like skateboard ramps and video games and cigarettes and gambling and, you know, just this rambunctious kind of mayhem, you know, that's real seductive and like do whatever you want or whatever. But it's really bizarre or interesting that behind it, there's this like tyrannical order, you know, that that they use this pool of riffraff to pull from to then, you know, get them to buy into their notion of, you know, honor, which, you know, the one guy like the Foot Clan boss, which isn't Shredder, like the, the next one down or yeah. whatever, mm-hmm. you know, when he inducts the one boy, he's like, you know, money cannot buy the honor that you've earned tonight, you know, that it's kind of out of this, this idea of effort, discipline, and loyalty. But it's so funny that that's what they're kind of backdooring them to from this place of kind of mayhem. You know, it's really interesting. And so what would you say is the dividing line between Shredder and um, Splinter and what they're teaching, right? Because I mean, um, Shredder professes the idea of honor, but then, you know, you have them kind of beating like the boss kind of beating them up. You know what I mean? It's, it's a really interesting, like it's an interesting parody, right? So like, what's it lacking? What is the Shredder clan or the foot lacking that they profess? Cause they profess honor. They profess loyalty, <clears throat> but it's not out of love, right? Like it's not like so, they don't care. Like Splinter is like love, right? Like what would you so say? Splinter, is the- yeah, is there regardless, right? Where Shredder mm-hmm. is using instant gratification to to uh, be a pseudo a pseudo connection, a pseudo family. What you have <laughs> here is greater than money or anything like that. Is is really just the pseudo happiness right so because at the end of the because at the end of the day they don't really have your back right like you're just a tool as a part of the clan right well that's that's really kind of what many of us deal with in life when we deal with these compulsive behaviors that we go through whether that be um you know seeking out uh social media constantly or or watching tv uh 24 or 23 hours of the 24 hours a day right or or we eat or or we go to drugs or alcohol consumption that's unhealthy you know when we're seeking out 
these compulsive behaviors, it's, it's self-medicating, right? It's, it's instant gratification. And the reason why it becomes so addictive is because it, it is just instant and in the moment and it doesn't last. And I think that that's what Shredder is playing on because his, his purpose is power, right? It's, it's control and power. And he realizes that through this manipulation of, I I'm offering you greater than what you've become uh, or greater than what you have is this idea in his mind that I can offer you happiness uh, through, through this power, but he's not happy. That's why he seeks more and more it's power. So, it's so interesting that, that power, I mean, cause is that the same dynamic with Sith? It's just like, I want to be in charge. Or is it just that the person at the top of the the atypical structure wants to be invincible and wants to be in the situation where they can't ever be taken down? Is that really just what it's about? It's like well, I, maybe. Can set, I can set up my kingdom and you can't ever tear it down, though it's a kingdom that is empty and void of any any real purpose for anybody else but to serve whoever's at the top of the structure, right? Well, what we all want at, at the basic, at our basic uh, <laughs> level, we want to be accepted. We want connection. Power is a great pseudo connection. Power well, just feels like we're accepted because people, when, serve, when you, yeah, when you're in power, yeah, especially us. that type of power. But it's but just for not, that one person. It's just like a drug. It's not, yeah. it's temporary. It's only in that moment. And so what we really want is acceptance. Acceptance Belonging. is what happens within, I feel like the turtles, right? With Splinter. Splinter mm -hmm. accepts them for who they are, even if they mess up. There's well, and they have and they have unconditional brother. love there. Yeah, and they have brotherhood, like legitimate yeah. brotherhood, where the foot just have like a pseudo brotherhood. Like well, you think wear about this outfit, so you're a part of us. You you have this honor, and you're here. But until you don't do what I want you to do, and then you're expendable, right? Where yes, you know, as the boys or the turtles, like they'll they'll make their mistakes, and Splinter's like, it's okay, you're figuring it out you learn that this isn't the right way. We're still here for you. I still, you know, I'm, I'm here to guide you and you still belong here, right? It's not the yes. same or It's acceptance, right? Yeah. Uh, uh, regardless. And I think that that's what uh, Shredder wants is acceptance, but his way to acceptance is ultimate power, right? He, he is well, I wonder if in if control those, of all those people. I wonder if those that that are the evil villains, like maybe they want it, but they've given that up. I think, like, it seems to me that most of the villains are smart enough to know that they've surrendered. That they see that idea of connection as weak, right? Because you, 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 your heart can be played on. So, to me, it's almost like they've surrendered that idea of acceptance and instead just want obedience or servitude so they feel powerful because they know they can't ever have it because they know that they can't be vulnerable because if they're vulnerable, they can be taken down and be hurt, right? Well, I mean, it's like an addict. I mean, once an addict's tolerance level gets to a certain point, then then it's no longer about 
you know, the, the immediate gratification, right. Their, their consequences are no longer the same. Like it, it becomes just about the, the drug. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think that that would be the same, at least in my mind, the power, the power, the power button. Yeah. It's just, it's just about power. And when in the beginning, that addiction probably started because they were self-medicating. Right. Right. And, and, but then, but then when you work with, I mean, at least when I've worked with addicts, it gets to a point where it's work anymore. not even really about self-medication. It's just about, I mean, it just becomes well, so that's addicted. Why, the brain well, that's why it becomes, changes, right? Yeah. It becomes about rock bottom, right? Because yep. it becomes unmanageable because it's an equation that doesn't have balance. And, it's, and I think uh, that tolerance level changes, right? And I think that's the same with probably when we're looking at villains within certain movies, it, I think it probably started that way, but then their mind took it to the point where, yeah, power is the answer. Power Mm -hmm. is the right way. Power is the only way to get what I'm seeking and failing to notice. And to never fall, to never not be noticed, to never not matter, to never... You know, because there's that idea. I, th- I can't remember what movie of like Which, your name being erased from the history books, and and you're but we not know, we know, we know that the answer for addiction is connection. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but absolutely. I think I think therein lies the same issue with with like these villains. That is the answer. They want acceptance. They want true connection, but they're so far beyond that. They're almost like the the addict that we can't do anything. For. Well, I wonder if some villain groups have some sense of, I mean, like the mob, for instance, has some sense of where they try to play on this idea of belonging. Well, of course, like, that's what Shredder's doing, like, right? But like where, but I th- I wonder if the mob bosses really have this sense of like with their top generals that they really do have belonging. Like I wonder if Hitler had this sense of real belonging with his top generals, but like I think of like these premierly evil characters like Palpatine or or uh, or Voldemort, and they didn't even pretend, you know, well, in those stories to have now a sense of camaraderie. Or because well, now we're getting into a little bit different of of a perspective of how you rule with power, right. and is that through working <laughs> with or or leading in front with fear or or you know pushing with fear or or right. working with right and so that's those, kind of different leadership style right, right? Yeah. with how you get power or values and, of evil right yeah and that's what it's shredder like, is incorporating is right using fear to push people and and the interesting thing this is you know an interesting topic in in of itself is that is that fear can breed progression. We all use fear to help us progress in life, but it's interesting. Fear doesn't breed progression as well as love and acceptance does, but we're scared. We're scared to let go of the fear. And so we continually fear ourselves into progression. I need to do better because if I don't, blah, blah, blah. The biggest thing that's clear to me is that if you're fear-based, your progression becomes maximized at some point until you surrender fear because fear is a roadblock for real progression. And by the time you can't, because there's a level Mm -hmm. of experimentation that you have to engage in, which will, will, which will breed failure. And so you have to embrace failure to truly be uniquely, um, 
uh, what's the word I'm like novel in, in trying something, you know, you have to surrender this notion of <clears throat> how it will look to really yeah. kind of vet out every possible Avenue of like, Oh, well, I'll look stupid if I fail. It's like, well, you got to get rid of that because you're not going to stumble onto the great way to do the thing. If you're worried about what people think, if you fail. <clears throat> and so it's a real roadblock, I think at some point, and you have to just be about what you're about and and be about finding out what it is and loving the thing that you're doing versus this notion of well, what do people think i mean gosh the whole like what do people think and what what do i mean that whole perfectionistic you know so many of us are trapped in that, and i am to some degree as well i'm not free of it either it's just yeah. it's so destructive it's so destructive it's hard though right because we also can't have acceptance without what other people think, you know, it's well, you can't really get rid of both. fear unless you get rid of really get rid of your amygdala. It's, it's right. The yeah, fear is going to be so present. And so it's about managing it. Right. Yeah. And I think the interesting thing about fear, is which that, takes the frontal lobe, right? Like it's this real, yes, you know, it's it like does. playing against mm-hmm. one part of your front. Like you have to really be like, you have to know how and to empower this part of your thing. Well, that's where you regulate know, this part. This idea of like grounding or mindfulness is it becomes powerful. Like breathing exercises, right. grounding, and, mindfulness and, exercises, bring your mind to the present becomes such a powerful tool. In well, and it's so fear. it's so cool too because we really do want to overcome like this animalistic part, right? We don't want to be carnal. We want to be. Um, like decisive or thoughtful or informed or deliberate versus reactive and well like enraged or impassioned right and i think that's what you know happens in in the movie where you mentioned earlier they go and they meditate so so raphael's been beat up they're at this farmhouse there's like hanging on obviously a lot of fear right there's obviously a ton of fear they're they're fighting they're keeping themselves busy yeah because they're so scared about what's going on and so they they fight they practice they're doing all these things but ultimately when they finally come to a clear mind of thought of okay and we're, through we're good it's through the what you mentioned their meditation right it's through centering and grounding themselves and especially like you said with each other that they come to clarity of thought of okay now we know what we need well, to Well, and then they connect with the voice of their father yeah yeah like how which is really of- powerful yeah, how profound is that, right? Because it's like the voice of truth. It's yes. the voice of reason. It's the voice of purpose. It's the voice of meaning versus these boys that are skateboarding and you know negotiating cigarettes. Well, that's why it eventually right, it, it falls apart to some degree, but it doesn't go away, like you said, because fear no. doesn't go. I mean, I, evil doesn't go away. No. But I going back to fear, something interesting is that fear drives fear right we 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 really have a hard time letting go of fear with this idea of well what what if i don't worry about that then then that thing's going to come true and so it's almost it's almost this cycle that that really we find so hard to escape yeah. from because fear it becomes contagious and it's really interesting to think about because you know i can think about when i was uh, 15 years old, I had an incident with my, my family. Uh, my mom caught me doing something and I remember exactly what she said. I remember exactly where I was. I remember exactly what I did afterwards, but 
anything positive from when I was 15, 16, 17, 18, I can't remember in as much clarity as I can that, that event. moment, that moment of, because there was so much bad yeah, fear and shame. And it's really interesting because that's the way our minds really are developed is our, our amygdala is designed to fire constantly. Our fight or flight mm-hmm. is designed to be active and engaged to the fight or flight part of our safe, brain. Yeah. yeah. Our limbic system is, is constantly being, being engaged right by our central nervous system. So when we look at fear, the reason it becomes so contagious and so real to us and something that we're so scared to let go of is not because it's real, but because that's the way our mind works. Yeah. And coming to understand that and coming to, to really learn how do I, how do I distance myself from that and realize that through love and acceptance of myself, I'm going to progress more than through fear. And and that's really a tough, tough thing to do because if I let go of the fear, then I'm not going to progress, right? That's the fear. I'm not going to progress. It's interesting. (laughs) I think, I think that I, I think I've, I think, I, I wonder if, you know, part of the reason why fear is not a huge voice in my head or limiter for me is because I felt so, I think, um, bedrock of acceptance at such a young age that it was like, I had nowhere to go, but kind of up, you know, mm-hmm. I felt so incredibly alone. So picked on as like a skinny, goofy looking redhead. So it was can't like, get any worse. Yeah. It's right? like, like, look, you can't, yeah. It's like, you can't, t- you know, my parents were, you know, unavailable, uh, cause they were working or because of their struggles with addiction, they were emotionally unavailable. And so it's like, you can't take anything else. Like I have to look at this redheaded goofy kid and like, I get slammed about that every day. Like there's nothing else you can kind of take from me. And so it was just kind of like, you know, whatever, this is who I am. Mm-hmm. And I think there was a part of me that believed or got the message. Cause there was love and connection in my family that like, I was good, you know, or there was this part of me that was like, well, I don't like want to, I don't want to beat up on anybody. I don't want to get over on anybody. I just want to like belong somewhere, you know, and I'm happy to belong with other people. Like I don't, you know what I mean? So I think, I think that was just kind of rid, you know, it was just kind of like I had been so sure, you know, bedrock. It was like, you can't take me down any further. So I'm not good, you know? And I think that's what happens with addicts. Like when they really turn a corner, it's like, the fall has been so morally bedrock. They've done such horrible betraying things. It's like, yeah, you can call me a piece of crap. I know I've been a piece of crap. I can't go any lower. So I'll be honest. I'll be straightforward. I want to be better. I don't want to be this bedrock I'm or I'm not this person I'm not being true to what I believe or what I think or what I know is good and right and I'm not going to do it anymore and you can go ahead and beat me up for it like what else like give me a break like you can't hate me you can't hate me any more than I've hated myself so now I'm turning it around and I think that that's real that's when I saw it I mean so many times when I was running, uh, I worked in um, an intensive outpatient and then residential treatment. And there was this thing, I saw it. I, I saw it. I saw when people were like, you can't take anything else from me. I'm, I'm going up from here. It doesn't matter. I'll tell you everything. I'll be, I'll 
go ahead and throw it down on me. I'm moving forward. Like they had their vision and they, they had you. That's why it's like rock bottom. Like you can't get any lower. <clears throat> it's a really valuable thing. I think. I think so. And I, I think that that's where, where it's tough, right? Because it's that shame that keeps you in those places, mm-hmm. keeps you in the despair, keeps you in the feelings of inadequacy, keeps you in the addiction. That, that's what you whatever are. it might be. Yeah. <clears throat> and so turning that, you know, for, for, addicts yeah usually there is like a moment of realization that happens um or there's death and so and so you know uh, there there's that moment but then when it's not an addiction maybe that moment is not as noticeable it's not as palpable yeah and that's i think where we and we therein lie i feel like almost every person I meet with that's work that has to be done for, for them to be able to start to make that turn and move forward is this idea of, I am, I am good. I am worthwhile. I wonder if that's, what's so powerful about Jordan Peterson's um, self-authoring program, because he, he challenges you to imagine where you would be if you made all the wrong decisions like over a period of time, like he's like, imagine your own personal health. So you like, don't have to actually go there. Like, just imagine, imagine if you'd betrayed your spouse. Imagine if you lied to your kids, imagine if you cheated at your job, imagine if you like, really think about where you'd end up and how you'd feel about yourself. And so it's like, okay, you don't want that. And then he, you know, he challenges you to then, you know, author, if you made a lot of the right decisions and put that together with discipline and hard work and, and meaning and purpose, where can you be? So it's like, he has you visualize your own heaven or hell versus, and that's really wisdom, right? I mean, instead of having like, and I think that's definitely one of the things that I gained by looking around me, it was like, Oh, I can pursue resentment and malevolence and, and, and isolation. And that's where it's going to take me. Like, I can, I'm wise enough to see, I don't want to be there. Yeah. So, you know, I think I embraced those things. And so I think that that's really what it is. Right. And it's definitely part of what we try to do when we're talking with folks is to get them to see, well, it's not as bad as you fear that it is and it could be worse. You know what I mean? And you can do things to make it better. You know, I mean, that's kind of what we're offering them. Right. Yeah. I think that is a a good part of it. I, I think the other side of it also is, is Brene Brown's work in looking at, at understanding, you know, the difference between identity and, and, and action. Right. So, so a a lot of times there's, there's this confusion that what I did, yeah. yeah. And, and, and separating that, Hey, I, I am, uh, you know, I am a human being. I am someone that has, has, uh, you know, worth. I'm a divine being. I, I mean, it's a miracle, you know, whether you're spiritual or not being a human being is, is a on this miracle. Earth. Yeah. And, and so, you know, that from, well, I did this, right. I'm not. So it's a difference of I am bad versus I did something bad right and separating that and understanding that i can learn and grow which is one of the great great things about being a human being is we well, can learn and why it's and why it's so important to find those places of belonging when and that's when we really see people that are emotionally distraught 
and yeah. in a really difficult way where they haven't had a consistent enough fostering environment that they really don't believe that they're good. Like yeah. they really can't because of whatever, you know, whatever the physiological side of brain development is that happens with consistent figures that are there to feed us and hold us. And, you know, hopefully it's not too crazy. Um, that's when people get really you know, messed up is well, when those environments haven't been there. Right. And the, I mean, the, you think about it, my wrong choices, I've learned way more from than you, you, my wrong choice or my right choices. And I don't know that I like to think so much in right and wrong more so as in how can I learn and grow from any experience that I have, but I'll say this, my wrong choices have offered me much more growth and and have built me to who I am and who, who I can continue to become than, than wrong, uh, right choices have. And so kind of having that idea, that perspective that, hey, the actions or choices that we make maybe aren't as important as what do we do with them. Yeah. Right. Lessons and, that we learn, what, yeah. we inter- what we internalize from those choices. But we get it's stuck really in incredible. the fear gets us stuck in the choice, right? We get right. stuck, we stagnate or and just, we don't progress. Or just the button being pushed yes. versus the consideration of what's going on. You yes. Know what I mean? Because and we, we just jump to these per- particular conclusions. We see that beautifully with Raph where he loses his sigh in the beginning, April takes it. And man, does he beat himself up over such losing, losing it. Mm -hmm. I'm so so stupid. And there is a lot of negative self-talk. I mean, in that anger, it's really directed at himself, which is also part of the reason why he, you know, he uh, isolates. What's interesting though, is he doesn't isolate from splinters invitations, you know, like he's able to be, or he's connected enough or splinters done a good enough job as the father figure that like, it's like, you know, there's some here. trust there, right? Yeah. Come mm-hmm. here and let me talk to you. And, and, you know, he settles down and he's able to hear, you well, know, the wisdom splinters, of the wise mind, right. Where he's able right. to say, Hey, this is growth opportunity. Embrace rejoice right, right? don't right. love don't self-hate right because this is <laughs> i love those figures i love those figures man like mm-hmm. always right all the movies all the stories that i love yeah those figures that exist out there i just think they're so cool i think that that it must be you know i don't think i've really realized it to this moment like that that's really the role that my grandfather really played that he mm-hmm. he really was kind of this quiet sage classic figure with his mustache and he was like a cop that's cool he played golf and he like made stuff in his basement (laughs) you know i mean like he made toy trains in his basement he he like just knew all this stuff and and he was there was this real genuine like gentle lovingness but there was also this part of him that felt very dangerous and intimidating but i didn't feel it i felt a little bit of it you know and he wasn't deliberate i don't think like I don't think he thought about himself as that. I think he's just being grandpa or whatever. He was just being who he was, you know, but, but there was this air. Right. And I think that, I think he really, in in a sense saved me because he, he, he invited me into like his golf world and I embraced it, you know, and I, I played golf through, 
junior high and high school and into college. And I think it grounded me to that. I think I, I think I connected with, with him in that way and felt, you know, cause golf, you know, has this, it had this sense of classic and old and yeah, something it does. about honor. It still does. And, right. <laughs> yeah. Something about honor. And it's like a gentleman's about, sport. Yeah. Thing. Right. Yeah. It's like a gentleman's sport. And there's, you know, there's, there's, I mean, it takes a lot. It takes a lot of temperament to play golf well. You know, it's a four, four and a half, five hour game. Well, I would, I would think it's a, an emotional game too, right? Where you have to you have, have to into mental health to, you have to, to to do it. And if your mental health's off, then I would I would think your game would be off. Well, I yeah, think that's I mean, true look, of any sport, but golf in particular. Absolutely. Well, because it's just you too, right? Like yeah. you could be on a team, even like the Ryder Cup sure. teams or whatever, but you still, it's just your game, dude. Every shot's your shot. You know what I mean? And so, yeah, it's interesting. You know, when Tiger Woods fell apart, when his glass house came crumbling down, he yeah. disappeared. Like he didn't have the mental toughness to be able to manage himself on the course because the facade that he had built around his yep. ability to to believe, you know, he could hit every shot or whatever it was you know, full apart. Of course, you know, he's made a comeback, but I, I don't follow golf anymore. So I don't know what the, what the golf world's like nowadays, but, but yeah, it's a either. really, yeah, it's a really fascinating uh, aspect of that sport for sure. And kind of going back to where we started, you know, just, I, this turtles for me was always big. I, I loved karate kid me as too, a yeah. kid, but you know, and that was, you know, eighties. And then we get to, I think 90, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles comes out. You have the cartoons in the 80s, and then the the movie comes out in I think 90, I think 89 or 90. But 89, I think it was, yeah. But you have this, so you have you have a hero, right? In in Daniel and a mentor in Miyagi. And then you graft into superhero, right? And so it's 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 kind of the same thematic type. Uh, uh, messages I feel like in both, but then you have in what kid doesn't like superhero, right? Something yeah. a little different. And so, well, the funny me, they were like, my superheroes. Uh, I didn't, you know, yeah. I did some D I, I read some DC, a little bit of Marvel, but for me, yeah, my yeah. superheroes were turtles. Yeah. It's interesting too, because the turtle is like such a parody of the ninja, right? It's like, it's like such it a is, joke, yes. right? Cause they're like slow or, yep. you know, what, you know, like they've got their own little shells, but which um, is awesome. Yeah. So yep. uh, yeah, it's just, it's a really cool that they took something kind of ridiculous, you know what I mean? And, and, uh -huh. it, you know, especially throwing pizza and, and teenage. Yeah. Like what, what whatever. animal would you think is least likely to be a ninja? <laughs> ninja. Oh, <Turtle>. a turtle. <laughs> Pretty much perfect. <laughs> and let's and let's give them names like Raphael and Leonardo. Oh yeah, I you love it. I mean, these classic names versus you know something that might be more ninja y or whatever. You know what I mean? And you had asked me who was my uh favorite turtle. So who is yours? See, I don't well see, I don't know if I if I if I if I know them enough, but I think interestingly enough i i from, well at least from the movie i would say raf i think i really yeah. i'm not inclined to carry anger on my sleeve mm -hmm. but i think um i think and i'm not as self-loathing as he is but i think that struggle that frustration uh speaks to me i mean i i don't i mean now i i feel like i have kind of like leader 
capabilities or whatever. But I think my heart really kind of identified with Raphael. I mean, to me, Raphael and Leonardo are kind of the strong figures. The other ones are kind of ancillary or they're not given as much voice maybe in the first movie or whatever. But so maybe that was another reason. But um, Raphael is a really cool one, Um, you know, and he, he I love. So I've always loved that he brings because I really like Casey Jones. I've always liked his character. Yeah, he's a really cool character. Yeah, and so he brings Casey the Jones true vigilante in right, Vigi- and, and it's really interesting. Vigilante. Yes. Yep. Yeah. yeah. He is. He is, and he's he's a human, which is cool to me. That's what I've all like. Batman was always so cool to me because he's human. Like his his superpowers are not not super crazy superpowers, right? That yeah, he's still human. Grit just grit and that was always and, and like uh green arrow right is is same thing but and there's a handful of them but um raf brings in casey jones in the original comics that you know he brings in casey jones in the Raphael one shot uh uh issue and then also in the reboot the idw reboot there's been a few reboot reboots but the big ones are probably the original series by mirage studios and then this idw reboot from 2010 and it's really interesting i love the reboot how they explain raft because like i said earlier he is separated from his family he doesn't know really who he is or or doesn't know that he has a family and he's just kind of wandering and he really he finds uh Casey Jones, who's a college student playing hockey in the reboot um uh comic series, and he finds him and they become family. And then eventually he oh, finds so when he brings his family. Him, so when he connects back in, he brings Casey with him. Essentially, oh. I mean, eventually it's really splinter who brings Casey and April, April back into in. the family. Yeah. Cause that's sprint splinters role, right? Mm-hmm. That's who he is to a yeah. core is he's yeah. that person. So, and I think, loves. and I think that's, you know, if I was to say overall, that's the character I connect the most to is, is that notion of who I want wants. to be right. Yeah. That's who, for yeah. me, that's splinters, like who I want to be. Yeah. Um, uh, Donnie has always been my favorite character. I don't know. I just loved, I just, I just loved him. He's just this yeah. nerdy, nerdy, smart turtle. Yeah. that also is a ninja, which is cool. I don't know many <laughs> nerds that are ninjas. That's cool. <laughs> Rocking the bow staff, bow staff yeah. skills. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I love, I love Raph for that reason too. He brings in, in Casey Jones and he just has this real feeling of, I am not wanted you know and that's really what the the new comic plays into is i'm unlovable i'm unwanted i was just left i have no one and and you know of course he learns wow that's not true his family's been looking for him for for the whole time it's interesting too like when i reflect on the evil you know it's interesting that uh that shredder is like anonymous right like you you yeah it's interesting that the foot clan is anonymous you know it's it's this idea of hiding identity you don't know who i am it's always interesting that real evil characters i suppose it's true with with um with super um protectors as well i mean that they wear masks too so their identity so maybe it's not fair to say that is evil but but there is this notion i mean it's i guess you still know what they stand for but i guess you know what the evil stands for as well well i think some of that is cinematic right <laughs> it, it 
kind of sets the the mood and the theme the mysteriousness uh, yeah for it because you know for me learning the backstory and learning who they really are adds to the villainy or the heroicism right depending on who you're reading about but i think yeah it's true i think a lot of that is probably cinematic that we see you know for me darth vader having like i remember watching these as a kid right episode four five and six or or the first three watching these and thinking holy crap this dude is freaking scary and it's just because you you don't see anything. You don't but know what this he is. Monster, yeah. Because yeah, he's so. I think that's more cinematic. He's he's undefined. He's yeah. he's untouchable. He's he's big and scary, and you know, yep. yeah, he's not humanized. I guess you you know you humanize them and are able to connect with them, which you know the the evil supervillains don't want that. When you learn more about who he is, right? You look at one, two, and three, or you read expanded universe. Either way. You look at who he is. That for me is even scarier because right. because I they could, could be make that. those choices. Yes, right? I could right. make those choices. I could fall okay. into that despair right. and that hurt and that feeling of I just want love, right? And I'll do anything at all costs for it and become this monster essentially, right? right? So well, that's even scarier to me. But but you know, I get what you're. No, no. Well, and it's also interesting too. And I think it's also interesting too that like in our lives, we'll ruminate on self-hate versus really kind of be honest about um, our villainness, you know, or our capability to be a villain or have I been a villain? You know, we'll just, we'll jump to self-loathing instead of taking responsibility for a prideful act, a selfish act, a lustful act, you know, um, a, a malevolent act, a, a, a resentful act, you know, instead of really yeah. being honest about X, Y, Z, or, you know, how we ended well, up, we'll just jump to, because our, you know, our amygdala, self-loathing. our amygdala, our mind, our brain, we it feels safer there. Mm it feels safer in projecting this is what could happen. So you, you know, you, you are this or you are bad because if, if, if that's the case, then, then it can't get worse, right? It becomes an an issue of comfort and safety. Our brains like the ritual, ritual, right? They like rituals. They like consistency. They like, they don't like to change. And so to offer something that's not safe, like another option of, well, what if you do risk here? What if you you aren't bad? What if you could be this? What if this is another option is not comforting to our brain? It's not comforting mm-hmm. to our mind. And so I think our minds are designed to stay with the negative one, because if I'm constantly thinking I'm this, then that's going to protect me essentially from becoming that. Or if I think I'm this, then I can't get any worse than that. But if I risk not being that, what if I fail? And failure is real danger, right? Failure is, is worse than just being this already. Yeah. It's interesting. Yeah. I think if that came across clear. It's, it's 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 uh it's harder to risk being good and failing than to just be evil. Yeah, I think for our minds, because our minds, I yeah. think, are are working that way. And I think that also 
when we have so many years of, of drawing in fear and so many years of using fear to maybe decision-make and to, to, to progress in our lives, I think our minds don't want to change that because they, our minds are ritualistic. They do like status quo. They, 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 well, they need it. it. It's like our psychology, right? Isn't like, it's kind of one of the greatest principles of psychology that we need a narrative to live up to, to be consistent, right? Like, Like we need a story. And so when we've adopted that story, then we affirm that story. You know, it's like, I think that's one of the, I think that that's why whenever I work with with change, I, I like the narrative approach and I, and I want to challenge people to write their own story versus accepting the story they believe that other people believe about them, you know, because then they point. live those things out, right? You know, it's like the self-fulfilling prophecy or whatever, but that's really hard. It's a really hard thing to take, to take that, to own that, which is so bizarre because like who else is in our freaking head but ourselves? Yeah. Like, why can't I take ownership of that? Why do, why am I going to believe the misrepresented story because usually the version of the story that I think other people think about me isn't actually what they think about me. It's what I've internalized that they think about me. Yes. You know, especially when we think our parents are disappointed with us, they might be frustrated with us, but they, they adore us and love us. I mean, they're decently healthy people. They adore us and love us and want us to be good and, and succeed and feel powerful and feel good. But we internalize this idea that because we've had some tough parenting moments with them or some bad decisions that they really were pissed off about and didn't maybe parent well, we internalize that they don't, they don't. Also, it's scary, right? It's scary to be that. Like, it's scary to think, um, you know, maybe I am that thing, but how long can I maintain it? What if I fall from that? Then I disappoint. Yeah. Then something else. Yeah. And so yeah. if you're already disappointing, it's, I think to your mind, it's easier just to stay in that place. Yeah, it's easier. Right. Yeah. Then to risk, well, I it's could, just, I could appease, but then that goes into that shame, right? Like I'm not really enough to be right. that all the time. But, but it's, that's just it. It's that, just that that's story. Not the mm-hmm. But it's just that idea of story and that idea of maintaining story. It's, it's, it's so interesting that we default to, um, you know, the most negative instead of daring to believe and work for, mm-hmm. you know, the truth, you know, that you were harping on before of, of the divinity that and the majesty that's in each of us. Well, it, go, it kind of goes back to just the simple, the simple things you, you can learn through self-help books, you know, on your own things that, that we reinforce as therapists a lot, but simple things like positive affirmations simple things like emotion journals, simple things like breathing, mindfulness, it's so frustrating taking care of your it's, emotional health. It's so frustrating as a therapist though, because people are like, well, you're just trying to get me to talk myself into that. It's like, no, I'm trying to get you to discover what's truly there, right? Not like talk yourself into it. You know, it's not like I'm trying to get you to well, not shame, you know, blow speaking. smoke up your, yeah, like blow smoke up your butt or, you know, talk yourself into it because people have really decided, no, I'm a horrible person because of this or because this person doesn't love me or because this person wasn't there for me or because I did this horrible thing. And it's like, no, like, no. And so it's not really, you know, and I think that's the reframe, right? Is it, I'm not trying to talk you into anything. I'm, right. I'm just trying to see if you can see what I see. Right. 
And, and that's really tough because you're saying that to someone who believes that the only reason you see what you see is because you don't know who I really am. Right. You don't see underneath. Right. Yeah, you don't. Right. But then it's like, well, go ahead and make yourself vulnerable and you'll see that I actually still see that and that I completely understand that those decisions or those experiences. But the vulnerability is tough, right? And therein lies where a therapist can be helpful is Mm -hmm. getting to that vulnerability because that can be, I mean, really to be vulnerable, you need someone else and you probably need someone that uh, can can help you through that process and not. But then you also have to believe them. Right. Like you have to believe them. Well, and there's is, trust, right? Yeah. There's trust. Yeah. It's like the trust. And ultimately, in ultimately, with a loved one, someone that you care about, having that vulnerability together and then having a, a good connection really makes a lot of healing happen. Which, which speaks to why the greatest intervention is the relationship of the therapist versus the intervention styles. Yeah. Right. Cause it's like the trust that they have in the genuine positive regard we have for, for those folks. Oh yeah, that's the best that that it's not pretended. Like I'm not pretending with you. Like I'm not pretending, Yeah, you know, which is why it's so important as a therapist. I think, well, I think as a person anyway, but for sure as a therapist is to be incredibly authentic and genuine because if you're not your clients, you know, won't believe you. Well, I think that that's what allow, you know, when I have compliments from, from people that, oh man, I've really enjoyed you. You're really good. It's not because I'm a great uh, uh, therapeutic model expert or anything like that, but because our personality is connected and we developed a friendship that allowed trust to happen. Yeah. They believed you. Yeah. And that's, like you said, the most important thing. And I think therein lies kind of why sometimes therapy might be looked at as just a like, well, you know, what, it, why is this an educated degree and you have models, but there is truth to, um, you know, there's a talent that you bring mm-hmm. as a therapist and that is connection. You, you know how to connect with people or maybe yeah. you don't know, you just naturally can do it because it's a talent. Um, yeah. and then the models come secondary to that. I think so. Yeah. But uh, anyways, I Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. A good I, one, I, dude. Yeah, always. I've just always loved. Um, and uh, it has a, a dear place in my heart, just like Star Wars does. Well, it's just so fun. You know, it's so fun. It's so kind of ridiculous. It you is. Know, it's it's a, a parody and it's 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 a fun journey. Which to, is kind of spend and to just embrace me. And, I just like to be fun and ridiculous. And so I feel like you are absolutely (laughs) ridiculous. (laughs) It just, it just, I just feel like it's just me to a T and it's always fun. And yeah, I just love it. But I I don't know if I've gotten the love of pizza from you. Like I need to, for you to be a teenager. Yeah. I do I love pizza, but it tears you up. Yeah. Yeah. I, I absolutely pizza for me is like i i definitely fall into that's one of the go-to i I love red sauce and dude italian sausage on pizza does it yeah i do like sausage i i like sausage and pineapple 
on my pizza. Yes. Or bacon. My wife's bacon and pineapple. Bacon is good, but I just like sausage, especially if yeah. it's a good sausage. Not all sausage is created equal. Um, I like, I like the ones that are like the big chunky yeah. like sausages. I also have come to absolutely love banana peppers on my pizza. Yeah, banana peppers are good on pizza too. They're good on sandwiches too. But uh agreed. Agreed. <laughs> the contrast tartness of the uh the pepper. Well, Thanks it's a good all. one. Yeah, yeah, glad that you were on fun. the teenage mutant ninja turtle journey with us. I was told today by one of our greatest fans that they're upset that we've been lacking on our parody videos. They're like, dude, we need more parody videos. Oh, like our uh our like uh our- our, um, sti- our, 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 teasers. our teasers our teasers yeah we're gonna have to get back yeah get well we've together. done so many interviews lately and we don't do them for the interviews we usually try to just do them yeah. for our main podcast for but i think podcast. yeah i think we're gonna probably put we're gonna out have to more get some main... more silly we're gonna have to get some more silly ones in there yeah because it's fun we will yeah. try we yes. will try all right my brother all right. heroes in a half shell turtle power is that am i getting that right <laughs> i don't know now i have that in my head i don't know if that's quite right <laughs> here's a half show mm-hmm. turtle power uh, <laughs> thanks everyone care. adios